right, keep your Bibles open there. We're going to walk through that together uh, as this is uh, the season when so many are thinking about change, right? So I talked at Christmas Eve about how um, so often sort of these days right here, right after Christmas, there's sort of this, this fog of, okay, it's, it's over, right? Uh, many of you, some of you still have gatherings to do and gifts to exchange, but uh, for the most part, like the day that we've been building up to and looking forward to, it has come and gone, and so we have this kind of recalibration back to, back to everyday life, and oh, we got to take down the tree and the lights and those sorts of things, and there's, can, can there be this, this, this mugginess or this, um, this feeling of like, uh, that's just sort of hard to get over, but what I talked about on Christmas Eve is that, that that's not because Jesus is over. That's not because Jesus is sort of finished. That's, that's really the, the cultural part of the holiday, the buildup and the, and the gift exchange and those sorts of things. That's over, and that leaves us feeling that. But Jesus, like the coming, the, the, the reason that we celebrate at Christmas, that he came, that is quite the opposite. It doesn't leave us with this sort of, uh, you know, post-holiday kind of hangover feeling of like, you know, readjusting into life. Instead, when he comes, it's the beginning of a new age, and he changes everything. And so I want to, want to build off of that as we've been talking about the covenants and the way that God has, has, has worked and the promises that he's made throughout history that have built up to the, the incarnation that Jesus was the culmination of, of all of those promises that God gave and that indeed he does come and, and change everything. I want to, want to not just stop there. I want to use this week before we start into a new sermon series next week on the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to use this week to talk about, okay, what does it look like to live out that new covenant? What does it look like to live out what, what Christ came to bring uh, and accomplish for us that we celebrated in the new covenant? Okay, what does it look like to live that out? And especially in a season where, right, we're coming up on just in a few days, believe it or not, like it, it's a new year, right? And, and with, with a new year comes people thinking about change. And many of you guys already got your resolutions in place and uh, you're really excited about it. And some of you have already maybe started on them and you're really good about this every year. And you, you're just, a, you know, you really thrive in this environment and uh, you knock out, you know, your resolution. You feel really good about it. Others of you, right, just don't even bother anymore, right? Anybody? It's like, I've tried. I never make it past March. Like, that's not a thing for me, right? You don't even try. And, and really, there's no right or wrong in that. But what churches have uh, often done is sort of uh, reacted one of two ways to this idea of change. One of two ways this idea of resolutions is, is a lot of times churches sort of build the ho- their whole, you know, shtick on that where, like, that's what we're doing is we're, you come and receive some life principles, right, and we'll help you get better. We'll help you be a better you, right? And that's what a lot of churches do, and that's sort of all they do is they sort of take, use the Bible and try to br- bring some helpful principles to your life so that you can become, you know, better you and live your, your, your best life and those sorts of things. And other churches w- want to react so, because that's really, that's not us, just as a, as a disclaimer, but some churches will overreact to that and say, no, 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 we, don't, we want no hint of self-help. We want no hint of, of that. And so they won't even deal with change at all, and they won't teach their people how to change. And, and I don't want to lean into either one of those things, because I think that the question is, should we be changing as Christians? Is a resounding yes, Right. In fact, that's the whole point, or not, that's like the, the idea of what Christ has come to accomplish in us is that the world is broken, and the reason it's broken is because we're broken, and, and he's come to bring restoration, and that very idea from brokenness to restoration isn't going to involve what? Change, right? And it's not just this forgiveness, right, where he forgives us and then tolerates us until we get to heaven, and then we're made perfect, like the, both of those things, like the tolerating thing is, is not true because yes, he forgives us and yes, when we get to heaven, we'll be made perfect. But in the meantime, in this middle is this process that's theologically called sanctification, 
right? So you're justified whenever you first believe in Jesus. You say, when you, the moment you realize I'm a sinner, I have no hope before a holy God. I have no hope in this world and certainly not in the next because I am a sinner. And you realize that and then you realize that Jesus came to be your savior and you cry out and say, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that you are the savior, Jesus, that, that God raised you from the dead and I wanna give you my life, make you the Lord of my life. In that moment, the Bible says that you are forgiven, washed clean, born again, given a new heart and forever justified before the Lord. You'll never again be held uh, in judgment for your sins because they've been placed onto Jesus and his righteousness has been placed onto you and that will never change. And that's glorious, right? And then on the, the other side of that, like one day when we step into glory, when we step into the presence of Jesus, we will be glorified fully. And that means that the, the presence of sin is, is gone altogether. We will be fully like he intended us to be and like him. And, and, and so that's justification. And on the end will be, glor- will be glorification. But in the middle is this thing called sanctification where we're, we're changing. And so I would say we don't need to overreact and say, no, 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 you know, no change, no help talk, no, you know, how do we change in the church? It just has to be in the right context, in the right, because indeed he has come so that we may change, so that we may experience the life that he came to bring, but it, we just have a different posture about it. So I want to look at Galatians 5 to that end. I want to, I want to feel, I want us to feel this together and this instruction uh, from Paul together. So Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 13, says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. If you uh, pause for just a second and look back at verse 1 of, of chapter 5, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't go back into a yoke of slavery. So Paul is, is addressing a particular uh, issue in the Galatian church where, where they are, um, they've, they've experienced Christ and they're, they're, they've formed as a church, but now they're sort of going back and saying, Yeah, but we probably need to kind of keep some of these rules again too. All right, and Paul is, is freaking out on him. He opens the book quite upset and quite um, emphatic in his language because it, it's very, very dangerous to start adding things to the gospel, to start saying that, that we are justified, that we are, earn our, our righteousness, our, our forgiveness in any way other than faith in Christ is very dangerous. And so Paul is addressing that issue, and, and, but, but it's not just, it, it's, it's for our good as well. And it's what he's saying here, is he's echoing the language of Christ. Christ often talked about coming to set the captive free. And he said, he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed, right? We have songs about that, like we're familiar with that. But do we know how to live that out? And that's what Paul is getting at here in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Here's what I want you to know, church. You were called to freedom. Christmas, Jesus came to bring you freedom, if you're not feeling that, you're not living in that, that's what I want us to lean into today. How do we get to that? And so that's, that's Paul's, that, that's where we're starting. But he says this, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What he's saying there is what happens a lot of times is we talk, especially in our culture, we've, we've sort of reduced the gospel to this, this deal of, hey, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell when you die? Right? And so people are like, well, I don't want to go to hell. So, okay, pray this prayer and you'll be forgiven and come to church sometimes. And, and that's the end of the deal. And we sort of leave it there. And so we have all these people that have, that have been convinced that their sins are forgiven, and because justification is in Christ alone and not what we do, that sort of we can do whatever we want and God will forgive us, right? And, and listen, that's not fundamentally and theologically untrue that, that God won't, like he will forgive our sins, but we're twisting that, that's a lie from hell where he's twisting that truth and saying, yeah, yeah, do whatever you want because, you know, he'll forgive you anyway. 
Well, Paul's saying is, no, 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 you were, you were called to freedom, and not, not to use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He's saying, just because you're, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want now. It, it's, it's, in fact, going to be something quite different and quite so much better than that. It's not less than that. It's actually quite better than that, but we have to keep going to, to find out that. So he says, uh, but rather through love, serve one another at the end of verse 13. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So we're going to see that this whole passage about change and fruit of the Spirit is, is bookend, bookended with this language of community, this language of one another. And so the first thing we kind of got to address is our motivation. Why do we want to change? Why do we desire to change? Before we embark into any sort of, you know, process of making ourselves better or allowing God to make us better, we have to examine why, what's going on there. Because a lot of times it's, it's sort of selfishly motivated. And, and what Paul is going to say here on both sides of this deal is that this is really about living the way that God has, has called us to live. And that's going to have a whole lot to do with what impact we have on this world and the people around us. So there's this sort of selfless motivation here. The, about why we should be changing, why should we should want to become a better person, or why should we want to be better. It's not just so we feel better and we get these accolades, but rather so that we are better for the world and those around us and for God's mission, but sort of can't focus on that a ton. But that's sort of the, the first part. And then, and then secondly, the motivation for change has to be pure in that it's not in order to earn ourselves favor with God. So what happens a lot of times is we think, okay, like we, we sort of have to uh, trust God and deal with God in faith for our justification, right? For whether we, you know, what's going to happen when we die and how we're going to be judged. Like, we don't have a, a whole lot of choice in that, so we have to kind of, you know, step out on faith in that. But once we've been forgiven and we've got, got the, the end, end of our life arrangements made, then we sort of, a lot of times, we step away from the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, and we go over here to, to begin to work on ourselves apart from the gospel, and what Paul's saying is, no, 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 you've missed the whole point. The gospel is not just something you come to once for salvation and to be justified, right, the first part of your salvation. It's, it's actually the thing you're going to come back to over and over and over again. One of the great reformers said that all of life is a life of repentance, meaning we consistently are coming before the Lord and asking him to forgive us of our sins and to make us new. It's, we consistently, that's why we come to this table each week in our service. Like We want to come to the gospel over and over again, not just for our justification, but also for our sanctification. And so, again, what the Galatians are dealing with here is whether they should implement a, a law of circumcision or not back into their church. My guess is most of you aren't really wrestling with that. Right? You're not losing a lot of sleep about whether you should be circumcised or not. Like That's probably just not your struggle or your wrestle. But it doesn't mean that, that, that this passage is not applicable to us. It doesn't mean that, that they're just dealing with something totally unlike us. Because here's, here's, the, here's the thing. What happens for us so often is we think, okay, I know God wants me to be better. Right? I know he wants me to be more like Christ. That's the, the language we use as Christians, right? So we think about that a lot, and, and so we think, okay, I, I, need to, I need to work on this 
I need to go over here and I need to work on this. I need to get better at this. I need to be more a better steward with my money. I need to, you know, I need to read my Bible more. I need to love my spouse more. I need to disciple my parent, my kids better. I need to do more witnessing at work. I need to do these things so that I can come over here and God will be pleased with me, right? And we sort of have this thing. Well, that's and when we do that, we're doing the same thing that the Galatians are doing when they're adding on circumcision to their, their salvation. Because what we're doing is we're, we're saying, okay, I need to do this in order that I may get this. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you've already got this. It doesn't matter what you do over here. And if you want to get better, you stay over here. You consistently are coming back to the gospel. So the motivation for change is not to earn our righteousness. It's not to earn favor with God or with other people, right? That's, that can't be why we're seeking to change. Biblically, the motivation for change is actually what Paul started here is for freedom. Right? Freedom. That, that as we gain in our holiness and our, our Christ-likeness, that we become more and more free, which becomes more and more glorifying to God. And we'll talk about that more in just a bit. But let's move on. So, so the motivation for change. Um, it really, the, what Paul is saying there is, is our identity is going to drive our behavior. And he's going to unpack that just a bit more in verse 16 and on. So he says, but I say this, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, what's he saying there? He's saying, in short, you want to change? You've got to address the root and not just the fruit. So often what we're doing as Christians is we're thinking, okay, I don't like this part of my life. I don't like how I act here. I don't like my, my struggle here. So let me just deal with that. Let me get rid of that, right? Whether that be lust, whether that be this addiction, whether that be my anger issue, my you know, gluttony, my fill-in-the-blank, right? Whatever that is, I want to focus on that so that I can be more holy. And what Paul's saying is, listen, you're, you're, you're flipping the deal, right? You're worried about fruit. You really want to like, change the fruit. You've got to go back and address the root here. So what, he, what Paul is saying is he's very much owning the fact that there's going to be this struggle in our lives as Christians. Did you, did you hear that language there? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Like there is this struggle, right? So if you're here and you're like, man, I've been like, you know, I tried this whole being a Christian thing and I just couldn't do it. So I walked away. Or, or if you're here and you're like, man, there's a whole lot of the bad stuff still present in my life. Paul's not alarmed by that. In fact, I'm not alarmed by someone who has a struggle in their life. Because that means that, that you're actually at war. That means you actually hate that sin and you're, you're, you're warring against it. The people that concern me are the ones that are content with their sin. The ones who aren't battling it. The ones who have just embraced it. Well, this is just how I am and you know, God will forgive me and, you know, whatever. Those are the people that are really concerning. Those are the people that I'm not sure have, have actually grasped the gospel. But for, for those of you that are, that are still struggling and maybe frustrated at your process of sanctification isn't going as fast as you would like, I want you to just take heart. And, and the, the, Paul's acknowledging this fact that there is going to be this war in place. But what he says is, walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's, here's what, what I believe he's saying, is that 
the desires of the flesh, right? So that word, the flesh, there, it, it, it sounds like Paul's just referring to our body. Our body itself is not bad, okay? Paul doesn't, doesn't believe that. That's sort of common uh, belief um, in some circles and, and some you know, beliefs have sort of perpetrated that, that everything physical and materialism or immaterial is bad and God just wants to get us out of this bad world. That's sort of this idea called Gnosticism and it's just not true at all. It's not what Paul's saying. When he's saying the flesh there, what, what he's referring to is, is sort of this, this, this part of us uh, I think as one pastor said, John Piper said, um, that our, it's our ego, it's the thing in us that, that feels this emptiness, right? Feels this desire, feels this you know, need for something, and then uses all of its resources to fill that without any regard to God. Okay? And what the Bible says is that without Christ, that that desire, that flesh is, is actually opposed to God, that it hates the idea of submitting to God for that filling up. But on this side of Christ, the Spirit has come in and invaded enemy territory, right, and has set up, right, rule and reign in our heart. And there is this, this tension and this battle that will, that will be going on until the, we get to the place of glorification, until we're in the presence of Christ. But there's this war within. And the Spirit will win that war. The Spirit reigns over our flesh. And, and the, the challenge is for us is to, as we'll see later, to keep in step with the Spirit, to, to, to walk by the Spirit. And as we do that, He is the, the active agent there, right? Walking by the Spirit, trusting Him, like He will cause these things to happen, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, like that's all on Him. But our will is, is very much at play in there. But, but here's, here's the, the root versus the fruit thing. I, let me just try to illustrate that briefly. Here's what, what Paul is saying. Uh, when it comes to change, when it comes to being uh, you know, better, however you want to fill in that blank, whatever, like, here's the deal. So, like, if you have a problem with your physical appearance, right, so whether that's you think, you know, you need to lose some weight, whether that you think you need to, you know, gain some muscle or just, you know, be able to run more than 30 yards when your kids are playing and not feel like you're going to die, like, whatever that is, If you have a problem with your physical appearance and it causes you to hate yourself, right? And this is common. If you have a problem with your physical appearance and it causes you to hate yourself, your actual problem is not with your body. It's your, with your relationship with God. Okay, I want, I want to say that again. If, if you have a problem with your appearance and it causes you to hate yourself or dislike and bring disdain for yourself and you live in that wrestle, man, I just got like, I hate, you know, and, and, and that's you. Your problem is not with your body, it's with your relationship with God. Because if you think that getting this body or that or losing that weight or getting you know, that alteration or whatever will make you feel complete, then, then you're wrong. And, and what's going to happen is that's going to be a whole other form of slavery. And that's what Paul's saying is don't go back into that. Don't go back into thinking that you can earn your salvation. That was slavery. And if you walk away from the gospel and into these things, thinking I need to do this and, and, and accomplish this so that I can feel whole, you're, you're stepping right back into slavery. And, and Christ came to set you free from that. So instead, stay over here. So when it comes to, to this issue of physical appearance, the root of the issue is not your body. The root of the issue is your heart, your relationship with God, more specifically, your identity in God. Right? So it's your identity that is the problem. You are broken. You 
don't feel whole. You don't feel loved. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel desired. You don't feel desirable. You don't, like, that's what's going on in you. And that's natural. It happens to, to all of us. But, but here's, we have to take that desire, those issues, that emptiness, we have to take that to God. We have to take our brokenness, our, our, our angst, our long, like, we have to take that to him and let him fill that up in us. And then we can rightly approach physical health and diet and exercise and, and those sorts of things. But if we, if we take them and flip them and say, okay, I need to diet and exercise or I need to do this and do that so that I can feel this wholeness, then what Paul's saying is you're stepping right back into slavery here. You're going to hate that. You might, you might succeed, and you might get fit. But guess what? A couple things. First of all, pride's probably going to follow. Right? You're going to feel proud of your own accomplishment. You're going to look down on others who can't get themselves together or, or you know, whatever. You, and then secondly, guess what? That won't last forever. Right? There's, there's going to come a day whenever your, your, your body's going to begin to fade. You're not going to be able to exercise the way that you did before. Your thyroid might decide it's done. Right? And you can't control. And what happens then? If your joy was based on your ability to accomplish these things and look this way, then your joy is gone whenever you're no longer able to do that. That's not what God wants for you. I'm not saying he doesn't want you to be fit and enjoy how you look. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're putting your hope and your, 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 your um, identity in that, then that's slavery. They're just the, the root, not the fruit. So likewise, if you have a problem with spending, Anybody? You have a problem with overspending, and you're like, okay, this year I've got to get my budget under control, right? This year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this mess. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to stop overspending, so on and so forth. I'm going you know, to give all my, my passwords to Amazon to somebody else so I can't buy stuff at 1130 at night, right? It's a bad idea. I'm just telling you. Guards down, whatever. If that's you, and you just have a compulsory like, need to buy more stuff and to buy the next thing, and you find yourself just just always moving from one thing to another. And, and you get that thing and you go, okay, yeah, that's good. And maybe you have this moment of, you know, a surge of chemicals that make you feel happy and it's good, right? And you enjoy it. But then that sort of fades and you're on to the next thing. If that's you, I'm not saying there's not some discipline that's needed to be applied there, right? There is. But that's fruit issue. To go to the root is to take your broken heart, your emptiness, the thing you're trying to fill whenever you make that purchase is to take that to the Lord and let him make you content. Let him make you whole and then transformation in how you spend will come out of that. That's the whole point of this, what Christ came to, to, to bring. He said, there's going to be a lot of talk about the law here and, and, um, and it's Christ didn't say that I've come to, you know, get rid of all the rules. They were bad. We're doing it. No, he said, in fact, quite the opposite. He said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to get rid of it, but fulfill it, right? To, to accomplish it, to bring it, like, to bear. And in fact, he said, it's not that I'm going to get rid of it altogether. I'm going to take it from being written on stones externally, and I'm going to put my spirit in the heart of my people, and my law is going to be written in there. Right? And so he's actually going to apply it in here. And that way of life, the way that God has called us to live, the way that is good for us to live, is applied by the Spirit's presence in our life. And we are transformed from the inside out. That's what Christ came to do. Right? Not to see if we can be transformed by external things. And if so, then we can earn our right you know, to be in his presence. But quite the opposite. He's earned 
our justification for us, puts us in God's presence, and it is God's presence that transforms us from the inside out. So don't step back into slavery by trying to accomplish those things. Instead, address the root, and the fruit will then change. And that's the whole point of what Paul is going to talk about in, in, in the last few verses here. So when we talk about, you know, there's a famous passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that says, uh, if anyone's in Christ Jesus, all things, old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new, right? He's a new creation. And a lot of times we feel that tension. We're like, all right, we rejoice in the moment, but then later we're like, man, I still got a lot of old things in my life, right? And then we got verses like this about this battle, this war in between, you know, Romans 6 and 7, it's very much the same sort of language, this, this, this battle between our flesh, right, the, the thing in us that wants to fill up our emptiness apart from God, and then the spirit which wants to point us to God and anchor us there, like there's this battle, this war. And, and the idea of having being a new creation, old things have passed away, that's not, that's not talking about like a, a total transformation. That happens in the end. But this, this inward, like our, the, what drives us, what, what, what uh, motivates us, what um, sort of the engine of our souls and of our heart, that has been made new. That has been transformed. We have a new heart. That's, what the, Bible, that's, what, that's the language the Bible uses with heart. Is we, the old heart was a heart of stone. He takes that out, puts in a heart of flesh, and that heart contains the spirit of God and the law of God, and we're transformed from the inside out. And so when it talks about living by the spirit and, and following the spirit, it's not this, this language of sort of we follow the spirit in the way that um, you know, the, the, the other drivers kind of follow the pace car on a you know, a NASCAR track, like that's the leader, we got to follow them in the, in the meantime. No, no, it's more, much like uh, a locomotive, like the train cars follow lo- the locomotive, like it's the driving force, it's, the, it's what's giving the energy, it's what's um, motivating who we are and driving, like that's how the Spirit of God, it's the, it's the engine that drives our souls, that has been transformed, and, and so the, the command of God here is to keep ourselves connected to that. And that as we keep ourselves connected to that, that addresses the root. And when we address the root, then the fruit will follow. So you got the flesh, you got the spirit. And what he's going to say here is verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. And what he's saying is it's easy to see what the flesh brings about. Just watch the news. Look at your own life, right? Examine your heart. He says this. They're, they're really clear. The works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I bet most of your struggles that you're, you're thinking about bringing a resolution to can, can fall into one of those categories, right? Issues that we struggle with. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of times we think, okay, man, I, I did one of those things. Now I must not be saved. Or I won't be going to, to heaven here. The, the, the language there, the, the, the verb do in the Greek is, is sort of shortchanged a little bit in that translation because really what, he, what he's meaning there is those who make a practice of doing, those who continue to do those things, those who live in that as a, as a way of life, as a, as a rhythm that keep doing those things if that's you, if, if there's been no transformation, there's no hatred for those things, right? Back to that struggle. If you, if you don't hate those things in your life when they're present, that's whenever he's saying, man, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because you've not been born again. But if you've been born again, those, you're going to have that battle. And when you stumble, when you fall, when you sin, you're going to hate that sin. And you're going to want to war against it. And the way to war against it is to turn to the Spirit. Because when you do that, 
you address the root, you turn to the Spirit, the, the fruit will change. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says against, the, against such things there is no law. We don't need a list for those. We don't need a, uh, an external thing to hold over. He says there's no law. And, though, and, and he says this, those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Right? And so what he's saying is when we come to Jesus, we're, we're laying down our life. The, 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 the idea of repentance is, is to turn from our sin and turn toward God. Where, and the, the whole idea, we're going to baptize a little Madden in a bit. And, and the whole illustration there, the, whole, the point of what's going on there is that we're, we're dying along with Christ. That, di- that Christ died our death on the cross for our sins. And that when we choose to follow, like when we throw our lives, throw ourselves on his grace and mercy, that we are dying to our old way of life. We're dying to ourself. We're dying to our flesh. We're saying, no longer am I going to do life that way. Instead, I'm going to look to God. I'm going to follow him. And so what he's saying is those who are in Christ Jesus, they crucified the flesh. That deal has been, has been dealt a death blow, but now there's this tension, there's this struggle that we have to live. All right, so how do we do that? How do we actually live life by the Spirit? Right? He's going to say, if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what he's saying is if the Spirit has, has caused you to be born again, if you've experienced new life in Christ, and if you have, praise God, right? If that's true, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's also walk with him. Let's not end there by just letting him, you know, cause us to be born again. Instead, let's, let's let him lead us. Let's walk with him. Let's keep in step with what he's doing in our life. So how do we do that? We've heard that before, right? Lots of preachers, lots of pastors, myself, we've said that. Lead, let the Spirit lead you. Always allow the Spirit to control you. But like, if we don't get sort of practical, what, what does that mean? We're sort of left confused, right? So I want to try to show you here as we close the answer. of How do we do that? How do we live by the Spirit and therefore produce this fruit? Because what will happen is when we, when we address the root... The fruit will follow. So when we address the root, when we get our heart right with God, when we take our brokenness and our need to God, a couple of different things will happen. One is our perspective might change, and we might no longer be interested in that goal because we might realize it was sort of trivial and it doesn't matter anymore. And he might shift our focus to something different, right, this new year. Like when we get our heart right with God, he might say, you know what, you really didn't need to, you know, save money for that thing. Instead, you're going to go this way, maybe. Or... Over time, he may bring he will bring wholeness and, and healing to your heart, and and then he'll allow you to perhaps pursue some of those things as far as health and budget and anger and, and those things that we hate in our life. He'll, he'll allow you to pursue them in a way that's not in the bondage of I have to do this or I'm not this, but instead I am this, and because I am this, I'm going to live out of this, and that's going to change these things. So how do we do that? How do we stay in the spirit? How do we how do we live that out? <clears throat> in short, I think you allow the Spirit to control you by keeping your heart happy in God. I'm borrowing a lot of this from John Piper. Many of you have maybe heard from him, and, and he's got the famous saying that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So a lot of times we think, okay, i got to do all these things, i got to check all these boxes, i got to perform these things in order for God to be glorified in my life. And what he's saying, he calls himself a Christian hedonist, meaning he pers- he's just saying what we're called to do is pursue full happiness in the Lord. And when we do that, we, he'll be really, really glorified in us because we'll be satisfied in him, and that's really glorifying to him. All right, so to, to flesh that a little bit more, 
You walk by the Spirit when your heart is resting in the promises of God. The Spirit reigns over the flesh in your life when you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you and is now working everything together for your good. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh presently, that's sort of a positive use of that word flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Spirit of the Son of God has been sent into our heart. And according to that passage there, he does the life of the Son. Like, he, he produces that in us. So how does Paul walk by the Spirit of the Son? He says, the life I now live, I live in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So here's the deal. There's a lot of things we can see. There's a lot of things that the world's going to tell us is important and we need to do. We need to get this. We need to, you know, have this lifestyle, this, you know, fill in the blank. But to choose to, follow, is to, live, to choose to follow Christ, to choose to live by the Spirit, is to live a life of faith. And to choose instead to rest in the promises of God. And when we do that, when we delight ourselves in the promises of God, that will lead to inside-out transformation. Theologian and pastor George Mueller years ago, wrote this in his autobiography. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state, how my inner man might be nourished. What he's saying there is... is so many people take that, oh, yeah, you're right, Jordan, i got to do quiet time. That's my resolution for this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend an hour a day, you know, at, at 4 o'clock in the morning with God, and that's my, I'm going to do it all for 2020, and it's going to be great. And listen, I don't want to, if that's you, amen. Like, may your tribe increase. Like, more, that would be awesome. But a lot of times we sit there and we think, okay, i, I got to do, and we, we, we're actually functionally putting a task there, a thing that we can do so that we feel better about our identity. When the whole invitation, the whole point of reading the Bible should be to delight ourselves in the, in the Lord. Right? To, to bring our heart to a place of, of joy and, and happiness actually in God. And so if that, you know, if that reading that four chapters a day in that Bible reading plan does that for you, then praise God, do that. That's a really good discipline that will lead to freedom that's really good. But if that's going to lead to this distortion in you of if I don't do that, now I feel like a failure and it's this checklist thing, then, then maybe take a different approach. Discipline is not bad. If we're shifting back in, like, we can shift back into slavery really quick with these things. The whole point, here's what God wants you to do in 2020 and forever. Delight yourself in him. Enjoy him. Isn't that crazy? Some of you are like, I don't buy it. I don't know what that means. No, no, no. He actually wants you to enjoy him. Addressing the root is what that looks like. Like delighting your heart in God. Psalm 37 4, like talks about like delight yourself in the Lord. All these things will be added unto you. Like you you want your desires in life to, to be fulfilled? Start with the greatest and most precious need, and that is your heart before the Lord, and then those other things will come. Right? The fruit will, will take care of itself. So if you miss your morning devotional, do it at lunch. 
take an extra 10 minutes on your ride home and sing some worship songs, pull over, read the Bible, pray, like find a way to connect your heart with the Lord. That's the most important task. And that's what will actually bring about transformation when we stay in step with the spirit. Like that's the whole invitation there is to keep ourselves connected to this source. And it's not that, oh, you got to do this or you fall away. No, no, it's this invitation, right? To keep leaning into our freedom that he purchased us. It's to keep walking out what, what like our faith, Right? And this is going to be hard. It's going to be a war. And, and I think of it like a lot of times we just think, man, I'm just not good at that or I just don't have that. And so we kind of give up. I got a, a little one-year-old boy that, that learned to walk just to, you know, in the last three or four months. He's been going through that process and he's, he's great at it now. But like early on, he'd stand up. Right? He really wanted to stand up. He'd pull on something and he'd, he'd try to walk. He'd take one step and fall on his face right? or sit on his diaper butt. And he'd do that over and over again. Right? Now, why... As a father, why would I get mad at him for not being able to walk? I just go, you're worthless kid, right? Good for nothing. Done with you. Come see me when you figure that out. No, no, no. What do I do as a, as a dad? Like you lean down. You say, good job, buddy. And you stand him back up and you invite him to come again. And you hold him when he falls. And you, and, right? And you go through this process. You're not mad at him. Instead, you're encouraging them to step more. That's what God is doing in us like his children, as we learn to walk by the Spirit, as we learn to live out the freedom that he's purchased for us, he's going, that's okay, get back up. That's okay, get back up. Like, I know it. Jesus paid for that too. Get back up. Come toward me. It's okay. Take another step. Come toward me. Like, that's the posture of our Father. He wants us to keep stepping toward him for freedom's sake. He's most glorified in us, not when we check off all this list and become this perfect, you know, religious person, but when we're the most satisfied in him. So we're maybe really aware of the warts and the things we still have left in our life to work with, but, man, we know that our, our, our righteousness is found in Christ alone, and we're willing to tell everybody where they can find that hope because we have been satisfied in him. We've been transformed from the inside out. Our heart has been changed. That's the invitation from God. That's the, and so that's why the gospel is important to go back to over and over again. It's not this one time I prayed that prayer. I, you know, the, the cross was for my salvation so I wouldn't go to hell. No, no, no. It, it's for that, and then it's for the daily struggle against sin. It's every day bringing your sin before the Lord and, and letting him wash you clean, grow his spirit, the spirit's influence in your heart, and walk you into more and more freedom, which produces more and more change, which produces the fruit of the spirit. You get that sorted out, you'll have self-control, and you'll be able to change your budget, right? You'll be able to change your diet even if that's what you need to do, you know? And you'll actually have love for other people that'll be stronger than your love for yourself. Like that's how he ends this thing is, is don't be conceited and puffed up and devour one another. When we start thinking about, okay, what can I do? What can I accomplish? What, then it's going to twist this whole thing on its head. We're going to start back into slavery trying to accomplish this. No, no, stay humble. Focus on you, like, you and the Lord. And when you do that, like, You'll find yourself being loving. You'll find yourself being patient. You'll find yourself being kind. You'll find yourself being full of self-control and having joy. And that will allow you to then pursue the more practical things, the more fruit things in your life. Let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate baptism. God, I'm grateful for um, Christmas, that you came, that you, that you gave, that God, you so love the world that you sent your only son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. That you came into the world not to condemn it, but to 
takes salvation to set us free from bondage. Thank you for that, Jesus. Help us as a, as a people setting before you, approaching a new year, reflecting on the joys of Christmas. Help us to be a people that, that lean in to your spirit, that walk by the spirit, and we become a people who are full of the fruit of the spirit, and that that impacts change around us in all parts of our life. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.